was in fifth grade when another male besides my father told me that he loved me. His name was Aaron, and he was a first grader, and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you see, I had just helped him learn how to read with a program in my school. Only problem is I'm dyslexic. <laughs> so jokes, jokes on him. Poor kid probably still thinks D's are B's. Uh, so yeah, he's first grader, I was a fifth grader, and uh, one day after school, I was heading to the bus, and he was waiting for me there, and he handed me a handwritten note and then ran away. I opened the note, and inside was a drawing of him and I holding hands, and beneath it wrote, I love you, in crayon. Yeah, yeah, and this, uh, this continued on for a few weeks, this little courting ritual. I'd go to the bus stop, and every single Friday, he would be waiting there with another handwritten note professing his undying love for me. Now, um, I was inexperienced with this kind of devotion. Uh, guys weren't exactly lining down the block for fifth grade Madeline, uh, I'll be honest with you. And... Um, I didn't, I didn't respond as well as I, I probably should have. In fact, I responded poorly. I did not let the little guy down easy. Uh, I told him that he was kind of weirding me out and uh, that he was embarrassing me in front of my friends and that he needed to stop. I know, I know. I don't know why I said it. I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, he was just this sweet little boy that took time to make me arts and crafts but his heart was shattered. He no longer met me at the bus stop with his sweet little notes, and he actually asked if he could change reading groups from mine. Yeah, 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 I still feel guilty about it. Um, but guys, I looked him up on Facebook this afternoon. He's found love again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a girlfriend, and I, I guess it's safe to say he's moved on. So yeah, yeah. Now. I tell you this story tonight because it beckons a question. What do you do when someone tells you that they love you? When you get a true and a real profession of love? I ask because there is actually a God in heaven who's deeply and madly in love with you. Way more than little Aaron was in love with me. Way more than maybe you could probably even grasp. And maybe you've known that for years. Maybe you've grown up constantly hearing about God's adoration and love for you. Or maybe this is your very first time understanding that God is more than just this weird belief or religion, that he is actually love and devotion towards you. He would do anything to get your attention and for you to understand this. And so you may have come here tonight because a friend invited you and they promised there'd be a lot of fun and maybe you would win a cool prize, which hopefully that was the case. But I wanna challenge every single person in this room for just a few minutes tonight to think about how they would respond to God's proclamation of love to you. Maybe up to this point, this hasn't really been your understanding about God. Maybe you've always kind of seen God as a religion and less of an undying love for you. Maybe you've always associated God more with the religion of Christianity, and that's actually kind of ruined your perception of who he is. Maybe you've never had the opportunity to feel his love because all you've ever experienced is his followers' judgment. 
And if that's the case, I am deeply, deeply sorry. I am sorry that a representative, that a person that claimed to love Jesus maybe made you feel inferior, made you feel like you were less than, or made you feel like you weren't worthy or enough. Please understand, they weren't representing God when they did this. God is not judgment, and he's not hate. In fact, the Bible is filled with over 310 verses that talk directly about his love for you. And his love is special because it's unlike anyone else's in that it is 100% unconditional. Even when we suck, even when we mess up, even when we fall short, he still looks at us with absolute delight and adoration. We all know that we mess up. I think that's one thing that every single person on earth has in common, and it totally levels the playing field. Romans 3.23 is very clear that this is the case. It says, for everyone has sinned. No matter where they come from, no matter how old they are, no matter how many days they've spent in church or haven't at all, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's perfect and glorious standard. And so what this verse is saying that we mess up all the time, we are all far from perfect, but God and Jesus, they are. They are glorious and they are perfect in every single way. So they're way over here on the perfection side. While us, we're way, 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 way over here, way separated by our own imperfection and our own lack of glory. And the truth is that when we mess up, when we fall short, when there's this huge gap between us and Jesus, that there's actually a cost that has to be paid when this is the case. And again, this is the case for everybody. Romans 6.23 warns, for the wages or the cost of sin is death. Now, this isn't saying that the second you commit a sin that you're going to be hit by a truck and die, right? We'd all be dead by now. But what it means is an eternal death. So once we leave this life, once we all pass away one day, that we have an eternal death, an eternal debt that has to be paid in hell to make up for this separation. That is the cost. That is the debt. But Jesus and God, in their love for us, they don't accept this. They hated the fact that sin put so much distance between us. They hated the fact that we had to pay this cost, even in our own imperfection, even in our lack of loyalty to them, our lack of devotion. They still could not accept that this space was insurmountable. And so Romans 6.23 goes on to say, yes, for the cost of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Jesus said, hold on a second. I'm not cool with this separation. I'm not okay with being that far away from the people that I love so entirely. So I want to give the free gift of my own life in order to pay that debt and bridge that separation. God paid the price for our mistakes. Why? Because he loves us. And I think sometimes the word love gets a little bit diluted. Sometimes it's overused or misapplied and the depth of it can be so different and on such a spectrum. We all can say that we 
love Chick-fil-A. And we do. We really, really do. But that's not the same depth of love that God has for you. God's love for you is, as I said, unconditional. But it also began so long before you did anything to please him or to deserve it. Romans 5.8 says, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. While we were of no use to him whatsoever, he says, I prove my love for you because I loved you before you were anything, before you existed, before you ever did one thing in love or support towards me. I still loved you. And once you can understand that, it kind of changes the way that you look at true, unconditional love. I think a lot of us can look at the relationships in our life and say, yeah, I'm surrounded by good people that love me. But human love, human relationships are reciprocal. In other words, I usually have to love that person in order to get love and acceptance back. I usually have to do one thing in order to get another thing. It's kind of transactional in that way. But this is so very different from God's love from us because he said, I loved you when you were nothing. I loved you before you even spoke a word. I loved you before you even set foot in a church. I have always been there loving you. God's love has nothing to do with us getting the best stats in our sports team. It has nothing to do with us having the thinnest waistlines or the most impressive GPAs or the most likes on your Instagram profile. You belong to him despite any of that. He loved you first. Zephaniah 3.17 paints a beautiful picture about the love of God and how it looks when he is thinking about you. It says, the Lord, your God, is with you. He's a mighty warrior who saves. He takes delight in you. In his love, he no longer rebukes you, but will rejoice over you with singing. He rejoices over you with singing. God, up in heaven, The God of the universe, the King of kings, sings over you with delight and adoration. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a sucker for a good love song, okay? I love them. I have Ed Sheeran tickets, okay? So you know that I am devoted to a good love song. Now, what I love about love songs is the way they make you feel, right? They're relatable. They make you want a connection with somebody. But when I read this verse, I thought, huh. God is up in heaven singing over me. What exactly is he singing? What exactly does this look like? And I imagine that it actually looks nothing like this. Love me, love's Take my whole 
face It's not a <laughs> that I would change Cause you're amazing You, you're amazing Just the way you are And when you smile The whole world stops and stares for a while Cause girl, you're amazing just the way you are. Just the way you are. Near, far, wherever you are. So good. I believe that the heart does go on. Again, I just want to make it clear. <laughs> it looks nothing like that, okay? Actually, just get that from your mind. Get that out of your brain. Um, Jesus isn't weird or creepy. Uh, maybe vocally he might sound similar, but the heart that, yeah, just, uh, yeah, not, not biblically accurate, but he is... <laughs> He loves you. He's singing over you. He takes delight in you. He loves to laugh with you. He loves to watch every single part of your day as you become the person that you, he wanted you and created you to be. He delights in you. But somehow I think that this truth gets lost in translation. Many people don't at all understand that God has love for them. Instead, they think, God, if he even knows about me, He's probably mad at me. He's probably ashamed of me. And there's no way that he could have those feelings towards me. And the truth is, is that I get it. I have felt that way so many times throughout my life. So unworthy, so unloved, and thinking there's no way that God could ever love or accept the person that I was. I remember my freshman year, up to that point, I'd kind of always grown up in church. I'd always actually been here at this church. And all my friends that I had were also from this church. But my freshman year, things kind of went downhill. These girls that I'd been friends with for years completely burned me, hurt me, crushed me in every single way. And so I decided, okay, well, I'm done with those relationships. But not only that, I'm done with the church as well. Because when I walked into this room, it just felt like I could feel their absence of that relationship and the hurt. And I associated the church with that as well. And so I said, okay, I'm done. Done with those relationships. Kind of done with church for a while too. I think I'm going to go off, do my own thing. And so my sophomore year of high school, I kind of fell in with a little bit of a bad crowd. Now these weren't bad people, but that didn't mean that they were good for me either. They were as lost as I was. And we were kind of ships without an anchor. And I was making pretty bad choices at this point in my life, pretty reckless, 
pretty angry, pretty rebellious. And without the church, without Jesus, without hearing the regular reminders of who I was, I completely lost sight of who that person was. And I started to run to those friendships and to the guys in my life to help me remember when that was a weight that probably never should have been on them in the first place. In this time, I felt like, you know, I am so lost, I'm so hurt, I'm so broken, and the people around me, they just seem to keep letting me down. And I thought, this must be punishment. This has to be because God is mad at me because I haven't been to church, because I don't have those relationships anymore. Surely he has lost that love for me. But the truth is my life was falling apart not because God was mad at me, but because I had pushed him out of it. I was running away from him when he was probably for sure the only person who could have helped me in this time. What I needed to realize was that friendships, boyfriends, girlfriends, even your parents can't give you the love and the acceptance that you need. They can love you, they can help you, they can support you and accept you, but it will never be enough because you need more. And that more needs to come from the unconditional love that only God can offer you. God's love has nothing to do with how pretty you are, has nothing to do with the clothes on your back, whether or not you can fit into a size zero. His love has nothing to do with whether or not you're willing to put out. His love has nothing to do with your grades or how fast you can run. He loves you, perfect, imperfect, all of it. Now, some of you might say, okay, well, I get that. I get what the Bible says, but I don't know if it's true in my case. I've done things. I've messed up things that I probably wouldn't even want to talk about in church. Yeah, me too. Well, you might say, no, 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 I have, I have an addiction that I struggle with that disgusts me. I have a temper that is shameful. I say things to people all of the time that hurts the ones that are closest to me. I'm sleeping around with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I have an eating disorder. I lie to my parents. I smoke weed. I talk badly about people behind their backs. How could he love me? And to you, I would say, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, one of my favorite verses, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, my grace is all that you need, and my power works best in weakness. He's saying it doesn't matter how many times you've fallen short. It doesn't matter what your list of, of all of the bad things that you think that you've done that God could never forgive you for. He says, my grace is all that you need. In fact, in your weakest moments is the moments where my power can shine through the most. Isaiah 1 says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are red like scarlet, I can make them as white as snow. That's Jesus' promise to you. It's that kind of love. And you're probably thinking, okay, I get it. God loves me. But surely I have to do something to earn it first. Surely there's some kind of religious thing, like I need to come to church a certain amount of times, or I need to at least pray and speak to God a couple of times before I can earn that grace and that mercy and that love. But again, that's wrong. 
when you really begin to understand that He does love you, then you'll do stuff for Him. You'll be obedient to Him. You'll respect Him. But it's not the prerequisite for experiencing His love. That's the after effect. When Jesus was dying on the cross, He wasn't alone up there. During this time in history, crucifixion, dying on the cross was a punishment for criminals. And so there was a man also on a cross next to Jesus. And this man was accused of being a thief. He was a common criminal. And the Bible tells us that as this man was dying next to Jesus, that he called out to him. He called out to him and he said, Jesus, please, can you save me? In this moment, Jesus didn't say, shut up, Warren. You have nothing to do with me. You need to go do some religious stuff before I would even consider saving you or loving you. No, he didn't say that at all. He said, today you will go with me to be in paradise. What did that guy do to earn God's love? Nothing. He was a criminal. Jesus loved him. The next guy that's the next time that some guy told me he loved me and wanted to be my boyfriend, I ended up marrying him. Because a declaration of love deserves a response. Now I'm not saying that you should go and marry the next guy that tells you that he loves you. But when someone loves you as unconditionally as God does, that warrants some kind of response. You may have thought that you came tonight because a friend maybe dragged you, but I think God wanted you here so that you could hear this declaration of love. He looked down into Grand Junction, into the different high schools, into the different classrooms, and he said, her. I want her here. I need her to understand that no matter what she does, no matter how far she falls short, that I could never see her any differently. Him. I need him to be here tonight. Why? Because he needs to understand that he can keep on running to escape. He can keep on trying to do these different things that will make him feel better. But he needs to understand that I'm the answer. I am the only one who can save. He wants more than just this one night with you, though. He wants a lifetime. And so what is your response to this declaration of love tonight? How do you respond to unconditional, unfailing love? I think the best way is to maybe say, I love you back. Something like, hey God, I know I'm not perfect. I, I mess up all the time, but I think I can love you anyway. And I know I haven't spent much time with you in the past. I let other things get in the way. I want to change that now. I feel like your love deserves some reciprocation. I believe in you. Romans 10, 9 talks about one of these declarations that we can make when it comes to Jesus. And it says, say this with your mouth. This is God speaking to us. And this is what he's asking from us. He says, this is all you have to say. Jesus is Lord. Say that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's all he's asking. In exchange for all of that love is just a little bit of a declaration back. He's not asking for perfection in response to his love. He just wants some love in return.
And so what I want each of us to do in just a second is just kind of spread out around the room. I'm not gonna make you do anything uncomfortable or anything weird, but I just wanna give us a moment where we can just kind of be away from any distractions in our own space, in our own hearts. So come on forward. You guys can spread out anywhere all around here, around the backs of the bleachers, but just kind of get in a place where you can be alone for a second. Give you a few more moments, just kind of spread out. And if you want to, you can just go ahead and sit right where you're standing once you get to that spot where you can be alone. But I really encourage you just to kind of get away from your friends for just a second. So this can really just be a private moment. So what were your response be? Maybe you're able to say, I had no idea. I didn't know that God loved me. I didn't know that Jesus died for me. I didn't understand that he was more than just a religion, that he was more than just judgment. This is the kind of thing that I've been eating, I've been wanting, I've been looking for. And so if that's the case, I want to just encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. Every single person in this room, if you'll just repeat these words after me, if everyone will say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for messing up. I'm sorry that it took so long for me to get here. But now I'm here, God, and I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again that when you did this, you saved me. So God, please forgive me for everything that I've done and make you the leader of my life. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.